Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of faith and mental health. We are back for another episode of Becoming Well. Good morning, Dr. Gordon. Good morning, Dr. Hendrickson. I am excited. We have two amazing guests with us today. We have Dr. Dwight Perry and Dr. Elizabeth Pierre. And listen, <laughs> she's so hyped. She's barely sitting down. Like I'm, I know I'm our hyped. listeners can't see, but she's like <laughs> running circles in the room here. I I absolutely adore these two individuals. I I really do for very a, a myriad of reasons. Um, but we're here to talk to them today about a fabulous book that they wrote together. They co-wrote and just and we'll talk about the title and so forth. But just to get to know them and their authenticity and who they are and their passion and how they actually poured into this book. And again, like I said, this is from a professional standpoint, but also from a personal standpoint that I absolutely love these two. So and I know you guys, all of our listeners will will as well. So let's begin and I'll do some introductions so first, I'll introduce Dr. Dwight Perry. And so Dr. Dwight Perry serves as provost here at Moody Bible Institute, which, let it be known, he is the first African-American to hold this position in its 135-year history. Uh, that's right. Huge. Awesome. Huge. Um, he's a practical theologian and teacher. He is the first African-American to earn a Ph.D. from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And Perry has been in full-time vocational ministry for over 41 years. He is the author of seven books, including Breaking Down Barriers. And he is a black evangelical, um, excuse me, a black evangelical explains the black church. That's what the book is about. I do want to say as well that he, whenever you meet Dr. Perry, one of the things that you will always hear about is his beautiful wife, Cynthia. Always. The, the, the real Dr. Perry. The real Dr. Perry. <laughs> so he is definitely a man that praises his wife and as, as, should, as it should be. Um, so I do want to um, thank you, Dr. Perry, for being here and just even how much you just love the church and how much you love your wife. Well, well thank you so, so much, Dr. Henderson. I, I, you, you start, I'm glad this is radio because I started crying when you mentioned Dr. Cynthia. Aww. I, I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, making, I'm not making a joke. I really did. I thank, love thank it. Thank you so much. I love it. So let me now introduce Dr. Elizabeth Pierre. Dr. Elizabeth Pierre is an assistant professor of pastoral care and counseling psychology at North Park Theological Seminary and North Park University. And she's an emerging scholar and practitioner. Pierre is a graduate of Gordon-Conwell Seminary, Boston College, and Wesley, uh, Wellesley College, sorry, and earned her Ph.D. from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. She is a licensed professional counselor, and her research focuses on in the intersection of trauma, race, and faith. And again, so I got to give my little... Uh, commentary about uh, Dr. Pierre. She is just, she is a very good friend of mine and she is just a wonderful, beautiful, just her heart and her authenticity is just, it's unmatched. And I'm not saying that just because she's on the phone uh, because I'm very, I'm very, uh, I, I, I'm very uh, intentional about who the company that I keep. And so <laughs> some say exclusive, intentional, right? <laughs> 
So I, I, I really, I really admire you, Dr. Um, Perry, and also Dr. Pierre. You guys are wonderful people, and I'm so happy that you guys are here with us today. Thank you for your warm words. Yeah, we are. We're so excited. And and as as Mary mentioned in our opening. Um, Dr. Pierre and Dr. Perry recently wrote a book, Even the Best of Us, Clergy, Sexual Failure, The Church's Hidden Sin. And, you know, certainly this this book is a phenomenal resource for pastors, for um, counselors, for mental health providers, and and for even those who have experienced either the consequence or um, maybe are... Uh, in connection or in relationship with somebody who's experienced that type of failure, uh, moral failure in the church. And, you know, for our listeners that have been a part of this podcast for a while, we are all about how faith and mental health intersect. And this is a huge area of mental health need in the church. And so we're delighted to have you both here. And we'd love to just hear from you about what inspired you to collaborate on this critical resource. Go ahead, Dr. Olivia. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Dr. Perry and I are not just colleagues, but he's my mentor, and he served at North Park for, I think, two to three years, Dr. Perry, as the academic dean. And what a breath of fresh air, and um, in so many ways. And you have him now. I'm happy and not so happy about that. (laughs) We we snagged him. We snagged him. Exactly. And, you know, Dr. Perry's heart, he knows he knew about my research, and I knew about his heart, and just his ministry as a pastor and a leader and as a mentor, um, and just realizing this, you know, the need, um, knowing stories, my story, as if I served as a pastor for a while, as a clinician, you hear these stories all the time, and uh, he um, asked me if I can just help participate writing this book, and it was like, absolutely, it was a joy, so I feel grateful that um, it was his vision. And um, I just came along for the ride. So Dr. Pierre is being modest as she <laughs> always is. I, I consider Dr. Elizabeth Pierre one of the emerging scholars in the country in this whole area of uh, care and self-care, specifically of clergy as well as other individuals in ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as Dr. Henderson mentioned. Uh, this is my, we're really in July will be my, I'll be going and finishing my 43rd year now full-time vocational ministry next fall. And unfortunately, um, um, this book took about 10 years for me to write. Uh, I was burdened by this issue in my role as president of Converse Great Lakes, which is, was part of my denomination. Um, it's a regional movement of about 120 churches. I was the first African-American executive minister in that role. Unfortunately, I had to deal with this issue. In my role as a senior pastor, um, I had to deal with this issue. Um, and I want to be very vague here, but there's some people that were part of my congregation who were, who were ministers. And it's just, it's just a... Um, unfortunately, a pervasive area that, at least for many of us as conservative evangelicals, I think for many years, we just thought it was the other people who did that, mm-hmm. and the, the other faith traditions who fell into that. And that was, that was and is not true. And, and that's where the title came from. No matter who you are, no matter what your faith tradition is, even the best of us are susceptible, including myself, to this uh, particular sin. So, so that that's really how this came about. It, it's 
it, it, it took a long time to write in terms of saying, okay, I'm at a place now where I really can write this. And it was such a joy to have such an expert in this area as Dr. Pierre to co-write this book with me. I, I was extreme. I was and am extremely honored. Thank you. Yeah, one of the things that really um, hit home for me when reading your book, which the book is written in such an excellent way, in a way that is very humble, and I love the fact that it is named even the best of us because it's coming from a place of humility, mm-hmm. right? It's coming from a place of understanding that we all um, we all have the capacity to fall into that type of sin if we are not careful. So I really appreciate that as opposed to coming from a standpoint that is um, accusatory or um, it is them and... It, 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 but it's not us. So I really, really appreciate that. And I'm wondering, because your first chapter, the title of the first chapter is The Church 2 Movement is Unfortunately Too Late. I love that title. I would like, can, can Dr. Perry, and I believe you wrote that the the first few chapters, can you talk about um, that title and what that means? Uh, certainly. Um, the, the subtitle of the book, as you know, is clergy sexual failure, the church's hidden sin. And unfortunately, for many, many years, even among all types of faith traditions, uh, the first response, the middle response, and the last response to this area was to cover, to hide, and to uh, uh, shift blame instead of grappling with it up front. I'm so thankful that uh, the Church 2 movement has come into existence. I'm so thankful that, by God's grace, more and more victims of sexual harassment and sexual abuse uh, are coming forward. Um, However, I don't want your listeners to get the impression that this is just something that's happened within the last few years. That was the point of the chapter. This, this is something that's been pervasive mm-hmm. since the beginning of the church. And in my context, as someone who really focuses on applied theology within a North American context, it's been something that has happened in the North American church since its inception. Uh, one of the things, you know, that, that, you both talk about throughout the book is as um, how church leaders, pastors in particular, uh, often isolate themselves and don't engage with um, you know their partners, their family members. They don't have these conversations, and and that is a, there's a direct connection between that and rates of. Um, let's say pornography usage, which, which you clarify, which I, I also love as a, as a practitioner, but also as a researcher, I love how you are very intentional, including statistics and research to back up Absolutely. your positions throughout the book. I mean, it's, it's again, just an excellent resource in that way. And so why do you think, I'd love to just hear from, from both of you, why do you think it is that, um, that church leaders, pastors in particular, uh, struggle with being forthcoming and being open about what what they're going through and using these other avenues as a way to kind of, I would say, self-medicate. Mm-hmm. I can share a little bit here, if it's okay. It's, um, I took this, the, the expect, the shame is one of mm-hmm. them, is one thing. 
And even in the chapter that I wrote, there is this assumption that because you're a leader, that you're expected. Again, even though cognitively and consciously you know that's not true, that I should have it all together. And not realizing that you're human. Right, right, <laughs> right. And that we're vulnerable. And, and we all do, like, well, I should be, I'm doing, I should be this. And then I, that's why I stress with my students in the pastoral care council, like, work through your stuff. Just because you're a pastor and you're anointed and appointed doesn't mean that you're not in the flesh. And that there's things, you're, you're in this flesh, that you have a family history, you have a trauma history, that it's okay, and, 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 and we know, and all of us, you know, in ministry and clinically, when that shame, when, when, you, when we have those wounds and that, those areas of struggle, it breeds in darkness, you know? And so it's just the shame, like, I should be somewhere. And when you're like, no, God already told us who we are. We're nothing but dust. And that's the best freedom. Like, okay, I, the, the thing is that I'm susceptible. Once we know that, that, I think that helps us to be humble and helps us to pay attention and to be wise in how we engage the world. And so I think that's realizing that we all have fallen short. We all need help, no matter what position that we're in, um, because we're human. And God knows that. And if God knows that, we should know that. Mm, that's <laughs> right. so true. Um, and accept that about ourselves so that um, – uh, so that we can really, and also gives us freedom to really accept people for who they are. Like it gives us everyone. If we all know, like I don't know about you, some of us like I, we always feel like we're the only one struggling with right. someone, mm-hmm. and then you hear someone else. You have a phone conversation or dinner or lunch, saying, "Oh my God, you know what that's right?" Is? Yeah, and it's like a relief. It's normalized. We're not it's so norm alone. and validated. Right. Yeah. It's it's normalized, and 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 I tell my students as well. Like we we don't want to. We want to normalize, but we don't want to minimize. But we want to normalize, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so that's and, and what I do want to um, kind of segue into with that is, you know, the things that we think that we're in alone. You said, Dr. Pierre, uh, Pierre yeah. that we're in this by ourselves or leaders are in this by the, themselves. And I know, Dr. Perry, you talked, um, I believe in your chapter, and either one of you can answer this. But what are some signs that um are that 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 you you are going into moral failure. So what are some red flags as they say now? You know, what are the red flags that you can see and say, "Okay, I I, I need help." Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's several, but I'll just give you four. Now, if you are married, there's some flags, but not all ministers are married either. Uh number one uh flag is so whoever you're closest to, you begin to hide. And that's what Dr. Peel was referencing to. It, you know, it amazes me how the issue of shame and hiding is not an American concept. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. The, the, the immediate response was to, to hide. And so uh, whenever we begin to find patterns of, of hiding, uh, we need to really say, okay, why are we doing that and where is this leading to? So that's one thing. Secondly, a, a lack of, of intimacy and, and proper relationships can lead to seeking intimacy in improper relationships. Whether you are single or married, all of us need intimacy in relationships. And we need, I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. Even. I'm talking about emotional intimacy. In relationships, uh, at least in my experience as a pastor, and, I, and I'm Dr. Elizabeth is the expert as a trained clinician. 
Uh, sex is not so much about sex as it is about power and as it is about emotional insufficiency. Okay. So uh, finding uh, or trying to find our emotional sufficiency in areas outside of Christ, even good areas like ministry, can, can be warning signs. Thirdly, um, not understanding the importance of accountability. Uh, accountability is, is critical. I remember when I was pastoring in, uh, in Chicago. And so, and it, predominantly African American church, wonderful congregation. Yeah, afterwards, in the, in the black church tradition, we would, we would meet people at the door and greet and all that. And then my wife began to notice that uh, after a while, there were several young ladies who would always want to come up to me and say, oh, you're so wonderful. And, and then all of a sudden, one Sunday, uh, there was my wife standing next to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she was trying to communicate, well, I'm glad you think I'm, he's so wonderful, but I'm Mrs. Wonderful. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I just want you to know, it, know that. <laughs> so, so lack of accountability uh, is, a, is a real danger. And then fourthly, um, lack of spiritual and physical and emotional self-care. Uh, many years ago, and I think I described the story in the book, our family was on a family vacation, and our kids were very small, so they wanted to go to Disney World and all that kind of stuff. But mom and dad wanted to go to focus on the family headquarters, which was in, in California. This is many years ago. And so we went, had a wonderful time touring the place, and at the last moment, they they asked us to come in to listen to a broadcast. I said, "Wow, that's sure." And and in that broadcast, a couple walked in with Dr. James Dobson at that time. It was many years ago, and they began to talk about their relationship and how this couple, he was a pastor, had fallen into sexual immorality, um, and he was one of my heroes. And um, and, and I'm answering one question. One of Part of why I, I made those choices is I was tired. And that, that just stuck with me, mm-hmm. you know, as a, mm-hmm. as a young pastor. I was tired, and that stuck with me. So those are some reasons that, um, that mm-hmm. flags that we need to, but there are others. Something that just Dr. Perry so eloquently said, I just wanted us to kind of emphasize, and I've been thinking more about that, this, um, is that how we forget that we're embodied and we have limitations. And so our body is speaking to us often more, to, uh, more often than we think, and we just want to keep pressing through. <laughs> and God's like, uh, and when your body is not feeling well, if you're not eating well, if you're not sleeping, they're finding out how more and more how sleep is so vital for our mental health and physical health. I mean, it's, it's, they're just, it's just the research is, you know, off the charts around this right now, that we think that, oh, because I'm a believer and a Christian and a pastor leader that, you know, that I'm invincible, but none of us are invincible. Even Jesus needed rest. He needed to take naps. <laughs> he needed mm-hmm. to eat. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is like cracks me up every time I read it. You know, when Jairus' daughter in Luke, um, you know, when she gets wakes up from the dead, the first thing Jesus says is, "Don't pray for her. She needs to be. She needs to eat. She's been dead for a right. couple of hours. Feed the girl. The basics. Right. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to go back to the basics. 
<laughs> you know, and it's holistic. It's holistic, right? And I think oftentimes it, it, it's it, there, it's part of it's a social construct, right? And it's seeped into the church mm-hmm. where we mm-hmm. feel that mm-hmm. is if we're doing one thing and we're doing it for God and it's spiritual, then everything else is taken care of. And that is the worst trap and that is the lie that we've bought into. But it's holistic. Every part of our being needs to be taken care of to function properly. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said, love me with your whole body, mind, soul, spirit. And there's a reason for that because he created all parts of ourselves to influence and work together. You know, one you were talking about shame. One of the one of the books that I love about shame, the the soul of shame, by a psychiatrist, Doctor Kurt Thompson. Yes, I love that book. Such a great book, right? And 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 you all talk about this, and and I think you've even referenced this as we're talking today, about this idea of just isolation. And there's this kind of cyclical nature that unfortunately keeps a lot of leaders in that place of. Um, of, of struggling with with their with their choices, and it's this idea of um, I'm overwhelmed, I'm I'm burned out, I need help, I don't know how to ask for help, and my biggest fear is being completely alone in all of this. Mm. But then, because there is either not the resources, or people aren't holding them accountable, or or whatever, that that isolation and that loneliness actually becomes their reality, and then that feeds the unhealthy behavior anymore. I mean, we see this as the cycle of sexual addiction is. Um, somebody engage, you know, from a clinical perspective, when I work with clients, somebody engages in watching pornography or, um, or or some other act, and then they feel completely alone, and then the shame kicks in, and then the way they cope with it is to go back to the addiction, and it's this, you know, it's this cycle. So I'm I'm just curious from either your perspective as a pastor, um, Dr. Perry or, or Dr. Pierre, in, in pastoral care and ministry, and and your clinical background, what are your thoughts on how? Um, we, we begin to break that cycle. You know, I, I don't have any um, just elaborate answers except to say um, that in weakness is our strength. And I would say very honestly, the first, I don't know, 20 years or so of my ministry, maybe 25 where uh, the Lord, the Lord was very gracious. I, I mean, I would achieved quite a bit. I mean, it wasn't until I was diagnosed with throat cancer, and I don't drink or smoke or anything, and uh, and and went through uh, several years of treatment because the cancer kept coming back. That I began to realize, man, why you you really are dependent. You really need Jesus. I know you've written books and all kind of stuff, but you need the Lord. And so from my vantage point, one key thing that I'm continually reminded of is the importance of brokenness. The importance of being a person that comes before God and says, man, I, I need your help. And, I, and I, I, I've got some areas that if you don't help me, and I'll, I'll do something stupid. And so that, that would be my first response. I love, first of all, I thank you so much, Dr. Perry, for, for sharing. Um, at, at the same time when you said that, you know, you, you, were, di- you were diagnosed with, with throat cancer, <laughs> Dr. Gordon and I both looked at each other and we were like, we didn't know that, right? And And I think that is a testament of, even in your sharing, 
and having that part of your testimony in your vulnerability and how good God is in that, right? And and I do want to go. I I, I kind of want to uh, uh, open up that the vulnerability and 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 being ashamed or feel like people are going to shame you or feel like maybe you're going to be ostracized, right? And 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 really quick and and it you know just a really quick story. So my my sister and I, my older sister and I, we we talk you know maybe once or twice a, a month, and her and I we really have a good time when we talk. And as we have been getting older, we have been getting deeper and deeper in our conversation. She was a sister that was always known as the shallow sister. You know, she self-appointed as the shallow sister and I was the deep sister, right? <laughs> but as we've gotten older, um, life has been real raw for us. And so um, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say that she was the shallow sister, but we've been having really, really deep conversations. And because I'm really seeing how much God has done in my life, and how much me having to share what he has done. And when he when I do share that, it is me having to be vulnerable and share things that that in in you know my younger years I would be too ashamed to share. And what it did, surprisingly, it really felt like a source of healing. It was both of us getting that out, both of us laying that out and, and praying for one another and crying and really letting that raw emotion um, just kind of take over and, and allow God to do and, and show his power and who he is and who he, how he is going to continue to use us in spite of, you know, how you guys, even throughout, you weave throughout the book in terms of being vulnerable and having to have accountability and going to therapy, there, there's so much healing in that. We can't keep these, these, even if they're just fleeting thoughts, they cannot be hidden because there's so much power in, in sharing and accountability and being vulnerable and understanding who our healer is. But it's also uh, our community is part of the healing process as well. So I thank you guys so much for even that. That's that's a huge part of your book in terms of being vulnerable and accountable and authentic. Well, one of the reasons why I specifically wanted Dr. Pierre to co-author this book with me is, uh, you know, she she is very skilled and also very competent, but she's also a, a, a very godly Christ follower. And she, she, she really tries to uh, seek God's spirit. And as, as it relates to our topic here, you know, one of the, one of the things I wrote in the book was how as ministers, we were primarily trained to, to live uh, on the outside and not really, really deal with the inside. And so when you said, what are some of the things that maybe can help us? And we'll get to that. But I know one thing is how we prepare people going into ministry needs to really deal with these issues in a much more systematic way. How are we helping men and women to, to understand who they are, to understand uh, self-care, to understand that ministry is not what you do on the outside, but it's what comes out from the inside. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what's really going to keep you in this thing for 30, 40, 50 years. You know, mm-hmm. not, not whether or not you can parse the Greek and, hey, I love, nothing wrong with the Greek. That's great. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, no, no, seriously, yeah. a lot of people will put, that, put formal education down. I don't. I think that's mm-hmm. wonderful if you have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. But there's more to it than that. That's all I'm saying. 
Now, there's more to to the effectiveness, especially in this whole area of sexual failure. You know, I, I um, I'm struck by, you know, Dr. Perry, as you're saying, training up pastors. And what are some of the critical areas that we're maybe missing in, you know, formal pastoral education and I'm with you. I mean, I think it's really important that our pastors, that our church leaders, that our ministry leaders um, understand and and can teach and um, exegete Scripture in the way that it is intended, right, in, in the inherent Word of God. But um, I'm amazed, just as a, speaking from a clin- clinical standpoint, and you talk about this in the book too, um, I think Dr. Pierre, it, it, you know, going back to some of the foundational psychological principles of, you know, Bandura's research and attachment theory. And, and I'm amazed when I work with, I work with a lot of pastors, I work with a lot of church leaders and, um, and you ask them to describe how they're feeling (laughs) and they go, well, I'm feeling, um, as if this situation didn't go the way I wanted to. And I said, that's a great perspective. Right. (laughs) What is the emotion? Right. And then we got to pull out the feeling wheel. And, yeah. you know, it, there's just a, a, a missing link there in terms of really even knowing what emotions I'm experiencing and then how to go about labeling and describing those. Right. That's a big right. part of this. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I, I it's, and you know what? It kind of teased me. It's like a, a little bit, I'll be honest, when, when students take either my counseling or pastoral care class, like, oh, it's just a fuzzy course, you know? And then they get into it, and they realize it's deep work. Right, right. <laughs> theologically, yeah. but inner work. is it's like, oh, it's not as important. It's like it's, it's like it's disconnected, and integration is key. We're met back to what Dr. Henderson said, too, Dr. Gordon, like holistic. And the people know that it's everything. God doesn't want just parts of yourself. God wants your whole self, you know? And again, people forget, and I always, again, I've mentioned this earlier, and I want to stress it, that sometimes unconsciously, when students don't realize that they're entering, they're entering ministry because they haven't worked through some of their stuff. And they're thinking by taking, you know, coming to ministry, God will solve it without doing that deep heart and emotional work. And they, they want to bypass it. And the thing is that God doesn't want to bypass it. That's our loving God. Like, God wants us to live an abundant and flourishing life. And a lot of that work has to, is looking inward, as Dr. Perry said. And that's the scariest part. But it's easier to be, do, read those books. And that's, not that it's, that's wonderful, but that's not the whole story. God wants all of us. And the, the, the scariest people are the, you know, clinically are people who split and who are not integrated. They're one way, one place, and you, you don't know who the other, you don't know who they are in the other place. Because they've not worked through that stuff, you know? And, and, and you know, I always tell my students, you know, it, every, you know, beginning of the semester, when you guys, when we go through these concepts and when we talk about all of the different, whether they're different theorists, whether they're, uh, you're doing, we're doing our study, our Bible study in the beginning, don't be that person in church. You know how the pastor always says something and then, and then you think that my, my cousin should have been here to listen to this <laughs> because they need to hear that, right? And God, and God is like, no, you're here because you need to hear it, right? There's something called a plank in your eye. <laughs> right. right, it's that Let's plank. Let's get it out. Let's get it out, right? And I think, 
Yeah, and it absolutely believe that that op- and, and we all do that, right? And that's the whole idea and understanding how pain. We, you know, we're we're built to survive, right? We, you know, thank thank God is so good that He is. You know, I always say He's given us defense mechanisms so we can survive, or we all be rocking in the corner, you know, not knowing what to do with our life. <laughs> so projection and so forth is good at that point or in, um, in that context at that moment to keep us in survival mode. The problem happens, and when we start splitting is when we try to use these same defense mechanisms or um, these same um, coping skills in different contexts, right? And it's unresolved. But I do want to, so with that, one of the things that I, you know, this is why I knew it was a great book for me to read because I'm sitting there underlying stuff and putting circles and like, Deb she looks at the book. like she's owned this book for like 25 years. <laughs> My copy's like nice and clean, you know. Hers is like dog-eared and tattered, and it's good. It's used. It's, it's used. It's well loved. It's Thank well you. loved. But one of the things that I love that you, both of you guys, you, you, um, really, really made very clear that therapy, and obviously the book is so well integrated in terms of uh, theological uh, stance and theological information and theological perception, as well as a psychological perception. That whole holistic idea. One of the things that I just kept getting irritated and it's a good irritation just hear me out when I keep reading the book is because and I believe Dr. Perry um uh, I believe in, in, in many of your chapters, you, you alluded to this as well, or you referred to this as well, is that, you know, in terms of therapy. But therapy, and I want you to go into this a little bit, for the black church is a whole different beast. So one of the things that we know to get to know ourselves, so we're not splitting, so that we do actually look within and we see how God is 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 working in us and allow him to work that stuff within us. It, one of the, the, the ways to do that is to go to therapy. But, um, and Elizabeth, or Dr. Dr. Pierre, you also said this as well, that... Um, you know, it's it's been a safe haven for 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 African Americans. It's been a place of safety. So then, oftentimes, when sexual failures uh, 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 happens in the church, it's like it's incest because we often see the pastor or uh, as our father, right? As as someone that we actually are, are. You know, everyone like my daughter. Everybody has a handle, right? If you meet her and you're my best friend, you're her auntie. Right. And so and so that's that thing that when I was reading the book that I just kept getting I really want to tackle is that we want to be able to use therapy, which is we all know, you know, it's just a phenomenal tool. But there's a cultural stigma to that. You know, when I first started, I remember going in in the church um, or when I first started going to uh, grad school, I had to go to it, it required us to go to counseling. And I remember my counselor was actually in the church. He was actually just using one of the rooms. I walked past the pastor and he said, hey, Mary, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to counseling. I was proud. And he said, girl, you better go in your prayer closet. Right. <laughs> you know, and and, you know, but but in you know, I say that with some levity, but but in reality, that's an issue because it's easy to say we need to go to therapy as one of the you know, there's accountability and so forth. But we need to go to therapy. But I want you guys to talk, uh, talk a little bit about how that looks um, or what your thoughts are about uh, uh, thoughts about that in terms of therapy in the black church and going to therapy. A couple of things that I would say just real briefly. Um, you are you are right, so right that uh, therapy within the African American context has not been as 
pervasively known or accessed. I'm on the, I'm on the stage, however, in Angel Life. You know, we did have therapy, but it was in the extended family. So all of my childhood until almost age 13, I lived with my grandparents. You know, we had millions and millions of cousins and aunts and, and people around, but more than that, we actually had uh, godly experiences in terms of men who invested in us. Uh, my second book that I wrote for Moody Press, Building Unity in, in the Church in the New Millennium, a book on racial and ethnic and other areas of diversity, as a matter of fact, was dedicated to my Uncle Barry, who was a, uh, didn't, didn't have a college education. He only went one year in college because he had to drop out to go to the military and take care of his parents, his mom. Uh, just a wonderful man and who mentored me and invested in me and my brother. And so even though formal therapy for, for several reasons, number one, the accessibility of it, to be honest, Number two, there were some misinformation in my community about it. And number three, we did have a sense of therapy that uh, later generations that are a little more not as centralized. It's not that it's just totally adverse in the black experience, but uh, but then let me answer your question. Uh, not just in the African-American context, but I believe in the broader context, clergy people specifically, are adverse to seeking therapy, clergy people. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's the way we have been trained. I don't know if it's the way we want to project ourselves. But um, I know that when I came down with throat cancer and then kept coming back and back, one of the things that really helped me was, oh, I think, it was almost a year's worth of therapy to try to work through. Wait a minute, I've done everything right. My father, who I didn't grow up with, but who I would eventually uh, become very close to and, and helped him spiritually in the last part of his life, died of throat cancer because he was a three-pack-a-day smoker. You know, don't judge him. He, he went to World War II in that area. Everybody smoked. Okay. And, and, but I said, I'm not going to smoke. And he, so even, <laughs> even when I wasn't a Christ follower, that wasn't a very attractive option for me. Okay. And so, so to, to come down with throat cancer when, when you have been somebody who was anti-smoking before it was anti-smoking was just confounding to me, okay? Uh, and it was confusing to me. And it was, wow. And so I had, to, I had a, just a, a wonderful therapist who helped me and, you know, work through that. It was, and, and I still have trauma from that, so I'm not over that. So... So I wholeheartedly endorse clergy persons or people in ministry, whether they're pastors or not, to understand that there's a part of you that needs uh, intervention, not because even something's wrong. I just think just ongoing, just to, just to deal with pressures of life. One last thing I'll say about that as it relates to clergy I wrote a paper several years ago now when I was on my way leaving my denomination in my role called um, uh, in, uh, the whole issue of spiritual covering. You know, what does spiritual covering mean? And the title of the paper was, Every Pastor Needs a Pastor. 
Now, I've written a book on mentoring. It's called The Hole in My Soul. It's an excellent little book, okay? I talk a little bit about my trauma in that book. But I'm not talking about mentors for pastors. Every pastor needs mentors. Please don't. Every ministry leader needs mentors. But everyone in spiritual authority, let me be as clear as I can, needs to have a person in their life who has spiritual authority over them. They need a covering pastor, in my view. I think many ministers and ministry leaders, not even pastors, get once again into making bad choices because they are not submitting to a spiritual leader. Now, I hear this stuff about, we'll have a board and all that. That's good and fine. Okay, you know, I'm a practical theologian. I know about church government and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is you, you, you really can't bear your soul to a group of people, especially if they change every three years or whatever, okay? You, you need to have, in my opinion, an actual person who you call your pastor, no matter how much of a big shot you think you might be. Well, what I, what I think and it, what I hear you saying, Dr. Perry, in that and, and Dr. Pierre, too, is that when it comes to... I mean, I think there's a dual responsibility, right? Ministry leaders, clergy leaders, pastors, there's a responsibility to seek out accountability in mentorship and counseling to recognize that you don't function on an island, that you are not an entity in and of yourself. You are wholly reliant on God who created us to be completely dependent on him. But there's also a responsibility, and I, and I think we'd be remiss to, to not acknowledge this, that we have a responsibility as members of the church to also not place our pastors on a pedestal that, yes. and to see them as not human, to recognize their, their complete and utter humanity. And, you know, for me, I love Dr. Pierre, when you talked about the story of um, Jarius, I think there, I read, a, I read a lot of scripture and I recognize I'm putting human qualities on God, but I read a lot of scripture with sarcasm <laughs> and, and humor. So it's like, yeah, when, when his daughter woke up and Jesus is like, uh, she needs some food, let's, let's be practical here. But I also think there's, there's so much of that throughout scripture, this practicality of God constantly going back to the basics. And, and you've said this, we've talked about this, humility. Humility. Like humility Absolutely. is such a critical part of leadership. And so is humility to the point of recognizing what we need. And one of my favorite Proverbs when it comes to wisdom, wisdom is, you know, is where it says, what's the beginning of wisdom? It's pretty simple. Get it, mm -hmm. <laughs> get yeah. wisdom. Yeah. So yeah. I think you've spoken to this. I think that the, the book speaks heavily to this, that as, as church leaders, as church members, as, as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, um, we need to humble ourselves and and to seek wisdom and to seek counsel. So absolutely, we, we thank just, you guys so yeah, much. Yeah, we just want to yeah. thank you for I, I being here. I feel like here. we need a part two. Yeah, I know. And, and we I were going to be reaching out. You wanted to have you back. Seriously, and I thank you guys so much. There's so much to unpack. And again, if we call you guys for a part two, just stay ready, okay? <laughs> yes, stay ready. Because... Yeah, this was so dope. And I thank you guys again. And you guys, listeners, go out there and get the book. Even the best of us. We are going to put it on our website, which you can check out, becomingwellpodcast.org. Um, listen to the episode. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And we are going to have these two backs. If you have Absolutely. questions, if you have more you want to hear from them, uh, drop us a line. Uh, give us a like. And uh, we, we love to hear from our listeners. Thanks so much for being a part of it, and we hope that you will continue to seek out being well.